thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. What questions do you have for the Naked Scientist? Call us right now. You know, it gets very busy because everyone wants to speak to Dr. Chris. O double one double eight three O seven O two your question and in Cape Town you can ask him a question on O two one double four six O five six seven. Remember you can also tweet your question at UCBS at Radio seven oh two or at Cape Talk or SMSs. We'll check the SMS line periodically and take a question from there. Three one seven oh two or three one five six seven. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Sounds like you're back in sunny weather somewhere. And it's very rainy in Joburg today, funny enough. Well, well we always start talking about the weather on this program. We do, yeah. I spent enough time <laughs> in Britain to know that that's what one does. Fulfilling all the stereotypes. No, it's, it's, not, it's certainly not sunny, but it, it's, uh, it's not raining like it was in Sydney. I, the rain seems to follow me around the world. I, I should sort of sell that, shouldn't I? Because <laughs> countries that are drought-stricken, I, I reckon I could bring rain to the Atacama Desert, I tell you. <laughs> I want to start off, because I see the lines are going crazy already. It's so cold here. People are obviously staying indoors close to the wireless and calling in with questions. But this story... Um, and I've just pulled it up here from Science Daily. You'll be able to speak to it more eloquently. Um, synthetic chromosomes? Yes. Well, th- this is big news this week because a group of uh, researchers, it's actually a big international consortium, but it's centred on Jeff Booker, who's a researcher at New York. in New York. He's at the NYU Langone Medical Centre. And they are publishing this big slew of papers in the journal Science this week describing the creation of a complete artificial genome for yeast. And, in fact, yeast has got 16 chromosomes in it. Uh, They have made artificial forms of the first six of these chromosomes now. Mm. And what I mean by this is that they have, in a computer, taken the genetic information for a chromosome, and just to orientate people, a chromosome is a molecule of DNA, and individual chromosomes can have hundreds or thousands of genes in them, and genes are the messages or recipes that tell cells how to make something, and each of those genes is encoded by DNA letters, the A, C, T, and G. They have taken the sequence of yeast and they've edited it like a giant document Mm. on a computer, moved some of the genes around, tarted it all up a bit and made an artificial sequence which has got all the same genetic recipes. They've just reshuffled them and reorganised them. And then they have painstakingly made each of these chromosomes by sequencing, sorry, by rebuilding Mm. short sequences of the DNA information and piecing these short bits together to make bigger bits and then pasting those bigger bits into, replace the real DNA in the chromosomes in yeast cells until they've got these yeast cells that are running on these artificial chromosomes. And, And this is important on several levels because one, it shows that actually you can begin to build big chromosomes and make them execute. It's like booting up a computer with a new piece of software. You can make a cell run on these things. Mm. Second, you can begin to ask some really important questions about how much you can move things around, how information is addressed within the genome, and and so on. So it's pretty big news.
use and it ushers in a future where we'll be able to do the same thing for, thing for human cells because yeast cells are very similar to our own cells. We're both eukaryotic cells. We have a nucleus, we have DNA in the form of chromosomes. The cells divide in a very similar way. And uh, actually I asked Jeff Buka when I spoke to him earlier this week, are you doing this with human cells as well? And he said, well, actually part of our collaboration is moving towards that and one approach they're going to be taking is to adjust and, and manipulate cells in such a way that they'll become resistant to infection with viruses. Doesn't that sound attractive? That is very impressive. Wow, that is very impressive. Chris, I'm gonna, we've got some callers on that. I want to ask the first question today, though. We had great fun on the show yesterday. We um, were chuckling about, I think the right way to say it is Monday Greens when we mishear the lyrics of songs. Um, can science help us with that at all or not? Why is it that we sometimes mishear lyrics? Well, it, actually, in the same way, you often see things that you don't see, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah. You think you've seen something, and you've actually seen something different. And this is because the brain doesn't work in isolation. It doesn't have just a hearing system, and it doesn't have just a seeing system. Everything is integrated. And there's a phenomenon that was described a number of years ago called the McGurk effect, after the man who first spotted that this was happening. If you see someone's face saying, burr, Burr or duh, duh or da, da. The mouth movements look very similar, and it's uh, actually it's only when you hear the sound and see the mouth movements, you bring the two things together, that you can actually tell what the person is really saying. And, and yes. so they did this experiment where you take the mouth doing one thing, saying bar, for example, and you play the sound da over it. Uh, people will actually totally misinterpret what the person is saying. Mm. And so when you mishear lyrics of songs, you're, you're also integrating other information. You're integrating your current conscious state, you're integrating how you feel at the time, and you're also integrating your own or adding over the top of that your own interpretation because of your culture upbringing surroundings and so on so you may hear words one way and, and think there's something different i've come across many examples of songs where i've been singing totally the wrong <laughs> lines fleetwood there's some Fle i mean yeah. um what is it um you go your own way in fleetwood mac yeah um i had all the words completely wrong to that and it was only when i bought my daughter a karaoke machine for christmas <laughs> and i looked at the, i thought ah oh, i've been singing this wrong yeah i had one of those <laughs> yesterday i've been singing mr rains down in Africa. It turns out to be Bless the Rains Down in Africa. Oh. <laughs> 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 there was a song, um, it, was, it was a chart song in the 70s, and I remember because a lot of my family were a lot older than me, they all got married around in the, in the late 70s, I went to a slew of weddings and engagements of my mm. cousins and things, and there was this song, Everybody Salsa, but the way the guy sang it on the record, it sounded like Everybody Sucks Socks, <laughs> and so you think, I don't, don't I was sort of very young then, I, I don't understand why someone would be singing about sucking socks, and it was Everybody Salsa, you see, but never mind. Let's go to Pretoria. Simon, good morning. Hi, morning. Morning, how are you? Very good. What is your question? My question is that uh, there was an article in one of the newspapers saying that uh, we have a diminishing uh, number of bees globally. So the bee population yes. worldwide? Yes, yes. And then uh, some people are saying that uh, that is caused by <coughs> the mobile phone uh, from the towers. Mm. You see, when the floods, these floods confuse these bees to go back to their hives. Now, I want to get that to from the doctor. Ah, what a lovely question. Dr. Chris? Yeah, it's highlighting a very important trend, which is that we are seeing a decline in honeybee populations and also other bees as well but but the it's been mostly noted in honeybees and there is a phenomenon which is being dubbed colony collapse disorder 
uh, this is where you go and look at your hive and you see that all your bees are gone or dead. Mm. And this is a phenomenon that seems to be sweeping around the world. And scientists have, have raised a number of possibilities as to why this could be happening. But actually the evidence points to it not being for a single reason, as in there's not one cause that we can point a finger at. It's probably what we call multifactorial. Mm. There are probably a range of different influences which are affecting bees, and in some geographies they there may be more of one factor than another. Mm. But the total effect together is to debilitate and diminish bee populations um, one example is for instance the spread of disease we know that bees have been plagued by something called varroa mite so bees have fleas these are these varroa mites they live on the bees they drill into the bees body and they suck bee blood mm. when they do that in the same way that mosquitoes give humans malaria these varroa mites can transmit viruses into the bees and as well as drinking their blood which weakens them they infect them with things and that weakens them mm. then there's agriculture where we're tending to grow large amounts of the same sorts of crops in big fields, so bees are subject to a very monotonous diet in some cases. Uh, this may affect them. We're also dosing those fields with various pesticides and other chemicals, and there is definitely evidence that some of these chemicals, including a class of chemicals called neonicotinoids, which are very powerful, very effective, and this is really important for, for feeding the world, having you know crops that pests don't nick, Unfortunately, these chemicals do not discriminate between friendly pollinators and mm. unfriendly herbivores who want to steal a farmer's crop. And this also is having serious effects on the bees. So it, it's likely that there's a range of different factors. Um, I haven't heard any evidence that mobile phone mast emissions will damage uh, a bee's ability to navigate or affect a bee adversely because bees' brains work very similar to our own brains and we, we are pretty comfortable that mobile phones probably don't affect our nervous systems. Mm. And for that reason, that's probably unlikely and it's more likely an environmental influence probably down to our activities in a range of ways, probably not mobile phones. Why do bees matter? Well, bees contribute billions of dollars to the global economy. Uh, bees account for 80% of pollination of our plants, and plants make things that we want to eat, like grains and fruits, because they're pollinated. And if you robbed the world of pollinators, then the yield from fruiting plants would diminish enormously mm. and we'd all go hungry. So people are very worried about bees because the, in order to replace a bee, you would have to spend billions, yeah. literally billions, in doing artificial pollination manoeuvres in order to get the same yields off of your plants. So they, they are a okay. huge asset to oh, our environment. Wow. Jeez, I certainly didn't, didn't expect an answer in terms of food security and the economy. Ntsiki, hello. Hi, hi there. I want to know if ever in the world is there any possible cure for retinal pigmentosa or vaccine? Okay. Okay. Um, well, what is retinitis pigmentosa? Well, this is a genetic condition. You inherit this. It runs in families. Um, a percent or so of the population are affected by it. And it affects something called the retinal, uh, retinal pigment epithelium, the RPE at the back of the eye. Uh, the RPE is a layer of melanized, in other words, dark tissue at the back of the eye, and its job is to clean up the debris that's spat out by your retina, which is the light-sensitive sheet at the back of your eye, and clean it up and also nourish the photoreceptors, the cells that turn light waves into brain waves in your eye. And for some reason that we don't completely understand yet, uh, some people's retinal pigment epithelium begins to fail or break down and this causes problems with the seeing part of the eye and slowly robs people of their vision. There is a way of treating this and at a conference I was at last year in Perth in Western Australia called Science on the Swan, spectacularly good conference, a chap there called Lyndon de Cruz uh, stood up and gave a presentation. He's from 
Australia, but also currently working in London at Moorfields Eye Hospital. And he and a team of researchers have developed an implant which can put stem cells into the back of the eye and deploy them under the retina so that they can replace the diseased retinal pigment epithelium tissue with healthy tissue which appears to remedy this problem and so they're actually doing trials on people now so it's very encouraging it was the first really exciting example of this i've seen um so yes i think there's every reason to be optimistic that in the future there will be ways to deal with this problem 19 minutes after 10 you're of course hearing the familiar voice of the naked scientist have you got a question for him we've got about 10 more minutes with him give us a call on 021-446-0567 in cape town if you want to ask a question of chris on johannesburg on 011 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. We've got Welcome on the line. Welcome, welcome. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Yes, I'm uh, just curious. Uh, I've heard people talking about mummies. Just, just want to find out if the mummies are real. If you can ask that from the Naked Scientist. Okay, do mermaids exist? Uh, no, <laughs> as far as we know, they don't. They don't exist. In in storybooks and in museums and in uh, maritime museums, yes, and in Greek mythology, yes, I think. But no, in real life, there's not really any example of this. A mermaid would be this sort of chimeric thing, a combination of a fish and a human, and. Whilst we did evolve originally from animals that were aquatic and something like a few hundred million years ago, creatures that evolved in the sea began to drag themselves onto land a um, hundred million years or so after the plants first did that and then they evolved into tetrapods, four-limbed animals and then ultimately things that walked on two legs like us. There's not really any evidence of a, of a fusion between people and mermaids but there were primitive creatures around a few hundred million years ago that that were a bit mermaid like in the sense that they they came out of the water and so they had to turn their their bodies their fins into arms and legs mm. and there are some of these transitional fossils neil shubin um who is a researcher i interviewed about 10 years ago discovered one of them called tick talic if you want to look it up and this is one of these transitional fossils showing signs of features of both land and water adaptation and we think that this is one of those fossils or one of those species that was there at the at the early invasion of the land as these animals made this jump but there's no modern mermaids i'm afraid i got after that question someone else is asking um an ontological question i got to put this one to you from bongani on twitter please ask chris whether god exists or not well god is something that people either believe in or they don't but um there is no objective evidence for god um and so i don't think i can answer that question because religion and science are quite different things and religion is important to one group of people science is important to another group of people there's nothing in science that says god can't exist and in fact there was a big bang which created in, in inverted commas the universe 13.8 billion years ago so one could argue that was a moment of creation who knows what lies beyond that mm. we all we know is the universe began to exist about 13.8 billion years ago before that there was no universe therefore something must have made that happen or we didn't come from nowhere mm. very very mind-boggling stuff whether god did that though who knows sounds like you're agnostic like me um i i, I would i will keep religion out of it <laughs> mr boy wants to know what causes deja vu what causes deja vu i think we've answered this question already you see this haven't we 
Um, no, the one we did was where the God exists. I think they mean the sensation where you think no, of no, it. No, I was joking. Oh, Chris! It's a joke. <laughs> I, I can't believe I you, got you oh, with that. You did. I'm blushing here. You got me totally there. You got me. Yeah, no, no um, <laughs> the answer to this is we don't know, but the, the brain has a whole bunch of memory circuits which contain a timeline. For instance, you, we know that memories, when you, when you lay down memories, you first of all make a, an impression of a memory in a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is like an electrical circuit. And that electrical circuit mm. is then mapped onto permanent changes or semi-permanent connection differences between nerve cells in other parts of the brain. That's called consolidation. And that's how memories are stored. Mm. We don't know, though, how the brain organises them in time order. So, for instance, you know, for example, if I asked you to recall what you did yesterday, you've got stored in your brain somewhere a list of things that you did yesterday, but somehow you also know what order they happened in mm. and at what time, roughly. So mm. you can piece back together a timeline. We don't know how that's achieved, um, but deja vu would, would appear to be that you experience something, you then attribute to it significance, thinking, I already know this, I'm sure this has happened before. And you, you then, uh, th th then you have that funny kind of feeling, I'm, I'm sure I've come across this before. <laughs> now, it, it, it can be because the, the timeline system in the brain is maybe a bit screwed up. Because when you get very tired, when people get confused or, or they've been unwell, sometimes that timeline gets confused and what's happening in the present is misattributed or overlaps with something in the past. Sometimes there can be the faint grain of a memory mm. back in history and something happens today that then reignites that past memory and makes you attach significance to it and you think this flash of inspiration all oh, this has happened before and it hasn't mm. but the answer is we really don't know but it does tend to happen more to people when they're tired or when they're stressed or when they're unwell okay <laughs> a couple of people laughing at me on twitter for missing that one from chris yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel a bit like dr showman knock knock jokes that i got in with the other day sarah in santon good morning good morning to you um macular degeneration is there any progress for treatment, or, and could stem cell treatment be used? Oh, good morning. The answer is, in the same way as we were discussing... Thank you, Sarah. In the same way as we were talking about uh, retinitis pigmentosa, the answer is absolutely. Uh, macular degeneration is a different phenomenon to retinitis pigmentosa because the mechanism is a bit different, but ultimately the same phenomenon occurs, which is loss of sight. Macular degeneration tends to occur as we get older, and in fact maybe one in four people are destined to be affected. It robs people of the sight in their macula, which is the part of the eye where there are the greatest densities of photoreceptors. These are, are the cones there, but also a few rods around them that convert light into nerve signals. Mm. And if you lose those photoreceptors, you can't see. There are two types of macular degeneration, one called wet and one called dry. And they have slightly different mechanisms. The wet form is where blood vessels leak and proliferate too much. The dry form is where something else, debris, builds up and, and damages the retina. But the ultimate outcome is the same, a loss of those photoreceptors. So what researchers are trying to do are two things. One, work out what causes the disease in the first place so that we can stop it happening. That's the ideal thing to do. Second is how do we put it right for people for whom this has already become a problem. Um, the first way, the first issue, is to deal with the underlying cause and scientists are working on that, and there are some drugs that, that are quite good. The second way is, if you've already got sight 
decrement because of macular degeneration, what can we do? Well, researchers are looking at ways to turn stem cells, which can be collected from an individual, and tailor-make their own new cells for the eye from those stem cells, and then put those stem cells into the retina and hope that they can turn into mature photoreceptors, the cones, and then wire themselves into the retina. There is some evidence in animals at the moment, and people are beginning to try this in humans in various ways, that this can happen. And so there's every reason to be optimistic. There's also uh, an approach where people are building implants for the eye where you build a false set of photoreceptors. It's like a sheet of tissue or material which Mm. is light-sensitive and it produces electrical signals that can then be bounced onto what are called the retinal ganglion cells, which Mm. are the cells at at the bottom of the retina that send nerves down the optic nerve to your brain. And with those implants, people are also now getting to the point where they, they, they have very, very poor acuity they're not able to see much, but they can certainly begin to discern things with these first-generation implants. So this is really exciting. Okay, we've got a lovely follow-up question to what you're saying, actually. In Orange Grove, Puluso, good morning. Hi, Chris. Hi there, what's your question? Hello. Um, in terms of uh, photosensitivity epilepsy, I, I was watching a video and there was such a uh, warning. So I want to know uh, how do I know that I have uh, that condition before I fall. Okay. Photosensitivity, particularly in epilepsy, what causes it and how do I know if I have it? Right. Well, often people who have epilepsy are told that they should avoid certain stimuli like repeated flashing lights. And in fact, when we bring patients into the hospital to do electrophysiology tests on them, sometimes doctors try to make them fit um, in order to, to study where in the brain their seizures are coming from by, for instance, putting them in front of a screen and flashing lots of rapidly changing lights or, or patterns on the screen at them. The reason this works is because when you, when you actually interpret information coming in through your eyes, different parts of the visual scene are projected, in other words, transmitted onto the brain. And when you flash information at certain parts of the, the visual world and then activate certain parts of the brain, nerve cells that correspond to those parts of the visual world will, will start to light up. In other words, there's, there's parts of your brain that see certain parts of the environment. And if you start sending them information, those nerve cells increase their activity. If you keep doing this in a sort of repetitive, thumping, pulsing way, it's a bit like pushing someone on a swing. Mm. If you get the timing right, you can make the swing go higher and higher and higher. And eventually, you can overwhelm the brain's ability to control its own activity Mm. and in susceptible people you can trigger a fit and when you're having that fit you can then use various electrodes to pick up where in the brain the fit seems to start and by monitoring currents electrical currents transmitted onto the skin and that tells you which bit of the brain might be going wrong so it's a tool that doctors use but they can then of course give information to patients about whether or not that they have that sort of epilepsy um so and and that, that i think is what your caller is asking thank you chris for sharing your knowledge with us yet again we'll do it again next week friday i'm looking forward to it thanks eusebius take care bye bye thinking about your next career move in research and development then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.